I don't care what your product does right now. I want to know what problem you solve. If you don't solve a problem that's important to people, anything your product does just doesn't matter. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Larry Roberts back with another awesome episode of the Readily Random Podcast. I got to tell you, I'm super stoked to be back on the mic. I'm literally, literally recording the first episode since coming back from Podcast Movement and from Nashville Rockin' Pod, which was interesting to say the least. <laughs> Definitely a niche audience. I had a great time at the conference, but man, O'Lair here was a little out of his element there at Old Rockin' Pod, but we can talk about that more. I can't wait to share with you exactly what, what I experienced there on that stage. So, But let's get to our guest today, man. Today I've got someone by the name of Kevin Maney. Kevin's a journalist who has been covering tech in society for 30 years. He's also the author of Play Bigger, How Pirates, Dreamers, and Innovators Create and Dominate Markets, which is spot on from some of the stuff that I picked up at Podcast Movement this past week. Kevin is a partner at Category Design Advisors, where he and his team guides leadership teams to help them define, develop, and ultimately dominate a new category of business. And as entrepreneurs and creators ourselves, this is something that I think can benefit each and every one of us that are listening today. And I can't wait to share the conversation with you. Kevin, thank you for joining me today and welcome to the Readily Random Podcast. And Larry, I appreciate it. And, and so coming off of Nashville, Maybe we should do sort of a new category of podcast where we sing this like a country song. You want to do that? <laughs> I think that's the last thing my listeners really want to hear is me singing based on. I don't know. You have this tenor, you have this tenorous voice. It might be you might be good. You know? Maybe with a little training. Maybe some training helps. I've I've heard I have a radio voice once or twice in my lifetime, but no one has ever asked me to uh, to bust out some notes for them. So. <laughs> Well, yeah, and, and, you know, I have a voice for print journalism. So. <laughs> That's all right. I've got a face for podcasting, so I think we're even. But we we could keep on with that back and forth there. But, Kevin, tell us a little bit, bit about, more about yourself. What prompted you to write Play Bigger? How does that play into category design? Kind of fill in some of the gaps for us, if you would. As you mentioned, I, I've been a journalist and author in the technology space for decades. And so I, I knew these guys, there's three co-authors of the book, Play Bigger, Al Ramadan, Dave Peterson, and Chris Lockett. I, you know, I had known them from previous lives and, you know, in, in things I'd covered and companies I'd run into. And they had gotten together and they had been CEOs, company founders, CMOs, things like that at companies throughout the years. They had gotten together and formed a firm called Play Bigger that was, you know, advising startups. And they had a bunch of you know, some interesting and random ideas, not always all connected to each other about what that was. And they invited me to a dinner one time. I'm guessing this is probably 2013. And we sat down and we're, we're, we're talking. They started with the concept and, you know, I had the context of having been writing about tech stuff for a long time. And they, they started with the concept that in digital markets, because everybody can, everybody in the world can get and use the best of whatever there is out there. There's no limitations by geography or anything like that. So it kind of becomes natural that in most digital markets, it's a pretty much a winner-take-all kind of situation. It's in every category, people are going to gravitate to the perceived best in that category. And so that one company is going to take 70, 75, 80% of the economics out of that category. And there's probably a number two floating in there that takes some of it and the rest gets scraps. Okay, that sounds 
right and interesting from everything I know. And then they said, so, well, then if you're going to start a company and, you know, you really want to try to create a billion dollar company, then from the get go, your, your thinking should be, well, instead of going into somebody else's category where they're already somebody's taking all those economics out of it and fighting for some market share, it's a better strategy to try to create your own category and make yourself the king of that category. Their whole kind of goal was to try to advise companies to do that and guide them through a process of trying to do that. We got talking about it and we thought, you know, well, maybe there's, maybe there's a book in there. And uh, I talked to my book agent who liked the idea and we just started Chris of the bunch. Chris has a house in Santa Cruz, beautiful house near the beach. We started just plopping down there for three days at a time, once a month, and just hacking through these ideas, these concepts, and trying to put some discipline around it so that they all like laddered up to the same outcome and, and all tied together. And you know, the, the more we went, the deeper we got in, and we finally realized we were creating, in fact, a, a new discipline, a new thing that um, companies should do, you know, like product design, like experience design. And so we started calling it category design. And, and really, it's all about how do you see a, a new market category that doesn't exist yet and design it in a way that puts you at the advantage of, of winning it? Uh, because if you're the first one to sort of you know, put some words and definition around that problem in that space and, and do it in a way that's advantageous to you and to the kinds of products you want to build to solve that problem, others are going to have to play by your rules. They're already starting at a disadvantage. So the book is basically, you know, lays out a, a playbook and a strategy for how to, how to do that, how to think like that. No, I, I think that's amazing. And I'm wondering, can you give us an example of maybe one or two different companies that have done this, that have come out of the woodwork founded a new category and then dominated that category just so that the listeners can kind of get a better feel of exactly what we're talking about here. Maybe something they can relate to in that regard. Well, let me, instead of an obscure company, let me tell you a, a story about it, something that everybody knows and just kind of put it in the perspective of, of how we think about it. So 2010 and Steve Jobs gets up on stage at the Apple developers conference. So he, he starts explaining and he says, We've now gone into this new era of digital media. You probably all notice you're you're consuming, you know, TV shows, movies, music, books, news. Everything is now possibly you know digital, and you're consuming it that way. But you have two devices that you can do that on, and one is this smartphone, this iPhone, and you know it's it's awesome, but it's got this really small screen, and it's not really great for watching movies or just, you know football game or something like that. Or you've got this laptop, which is nice, but it's too big and bulky to like, if you're watching a car, for instance, or, you know, while you're sitting on the couch. So he described to us what, what he was building towards is describing to us that there is a new problem out there that we didn't even quite realize we had, that all this digital media was starting to be consumed. But you know what? We really didn't have the right device to consume it on. It's just too small. This is too big. Nothing's quite built for that. And he puts this idea in our head that there's something missing in the marketplace. And then he literally says, and he uses these words, so we're introducing a new category of computing. It's, and it's a tablet, and ours are called the iPad. First, he put the idea in our head that there was a missing space, a problem that wasn't being solved, that we didn't even quite realize was a problem. And then you kind of go, you're right, I need that. And then he introduces the solution to that space, the solution to that problem. And then we all go, 
I think I say need one of those. So that's a classic version of thinking about the, not only thinking about the problem in the empty space first, but convincing us that it exists, that we, yeah, create, you know, creating the problem, essentially creating the problem. You're right. It's a good way to put it. And putting, you know, a definition around it that, that we can, we can understand and then saying, you know, we've got a solution to that problem. And, you know, and, and by the way, we, we're the only ones that have a solution to that problem. And so that was, that was the way that Steve Jobs introduced the iPad to the world. He convinced us first that it was a, there was a problem to be solved, and then there was a product to solve it. Now, there had been tablet computers around for decades before that. And, but, you know, like Microsoft had a tablet, and it basically talked about it as it's basically a laptop with a, with a screen on top you could write on. Nobody really knew what to do with it. And, and so it never really caught on because it didn't have a problem to solve in our heads. That's the kind of thinking that we espouse through this idea of category design. No, and I think it's interesting, and especially right now, as I mentioned, coming back from, from podcast movement, where we had Mark Cuban and Fallon Fatimi that did a keynote to introduce a new application to the entire podcasting community. And that application is Fireside. And I'm sure you've probably heard some about Fireside. I'd be interested to know if, if you even know, and this is your space, if you really even know what it is, because, and the reason I'm wondering that from you, not to put you on the spot, but to kind of paint the picture and the fact that Fireside's been out now for almost a year. And I overlooked it. I didn't even give it any consideration because... I was a clubhouse guy. I jumped into clubhouse, I mean, full steam ahead. I wrote a course on how to use club, clubhouse and how to leverage clubhouse for your business. And clubhouse kind of, it's been faltering as of late. So I start hearing about Fireside and I instantly start thinking it's just another social audio platform. And I'm looking forward to hearing from Mark and Fallon to hear exactly what this platform really is. But it turns out that they didn't do a very good job of, of explaining exactly what it was. So a lot of the people in attendance still have no idea what it is. But I also had the pleasure of speaking with Fallon after the fact, and I learned that it's much more than social audio. However, it's something in a brand new category. So it seems to me like they might be falling prey to some of the category design elements that they're missing. What are some of the things that, that people need to watch out for? And not just on a, I mean, we're talking about two massive developers in Mark Cuban and Fallon Fatimi, who was one of Google's, actually, she was the youngest Google employee to date. At 19 years old, she came onto Google and then she, she exited several years later. You would think that coming from such two technical powerhouses, that they would have a grasp on category design and category implementation. Steve Jobs obviously did a phenomenal job of it with the iPad and introducing it like you had described. What are some of the pitfalls that we should look out for so that we don't kind of fall into the, the realm of the, the Fallon and Mark Cuban debacle that we experienced last week? Yeah, and in fact, I'll even address Clubhouse in that, in that regard too. So when we work with a company, the first thing that we do, day one is a five or six hour workshop with the leadership team, six, eight, 10 people around the table from every you know important role in the company. And the first question that we ask is, what problem do you solve? And believe it or not, that simple question ends up in a six hour debate with the company. 
And here's the first answer that you get from, I would say, I literally would say 90% of the com of companies. You ask them, what problem do you solve? The answer that you get is, here's what our product does. And, and, they, and they'll tell you what the product does. You say, no, no, no. Actually, I didn't ask that at all. I don't care what your product does right now. I want to know what problem you solve. If you don't solve a problem that's important to people, anything your product does just doesn't matter. And so let's go back to Clubhouse. And I have a feeling Fireside probably falls into the same trap. So Clubhouse had this burst of energy was it when it first, first came out because it was something new and interesting. I'm not sure anybody could tell me what problem it solved for people. Maybe some people had some great hunger for an audio version of you know, Facebook or Twitter or something like that, but it, nobody ever really described why it fit into our world and why uh, we needed it. What we, we often see is you can always get early adopters based on a cool new invention or a cool new technology, but you can't get past the early adopters unless people truly understand why this fits into their lives and why they need it and why there's nothing else out there like it. And I don't believe Clubhouse ever made that, created that definition. And it doesn't sound like Fireside has either. You know, the grand future for, for those companies, you know, unless they can turn that around and, and give us that, you know, that insight, I don't, I don't see where it is. That's interesting because, you know, again, you've been writing for tech for years and years and, and you understand the space. How can those that don't necessarily understand the space and especially like the solopreneur and the, the small to mid-sized businesses, how can they avoid that trap? I understand just what problem do you solve, but in, in some instances they have products and multiple products. So they have multiple service offerings. They have digital products. They have physical products. What are some of the other pitfalls that we could fall prey to that would stop us from either entering into or even designing our own category, designing a category that's so intimidating that, and it requires so much. How do you get that traction? Because I actually disagree with you that it's, that it's intim that it needs to be intimidating. In fact, from my perspective, what's more intimidating is trying to, you know, technically like, you know, it, it creates something new that, you know, you, you just think is cool, but you don't know what, what it does, uh, what it does for the world. So, I mean, so category design is a, I mean, it's a thought exercise. It's not, it doesn't require a team of engineers. It doesn't require market research. It requires you to know something about the world you inhabit. And, and you, you know, th this happens all the time, right? You know, somebody's working in a particular industry and they realize that there's, you know, some missing, some problem that isn't getting solved, you know, some space is not being occupied. And they realize that, you know, they can build something to try to, you know, to solve that, I mean, the real the real work and the real innovation comes in building the thing that's going to solve the problem, not seeing the problem in the first place. You know, classic story of Uber, right? You know, these two knuckleheads basically are standing on a, a, a corner in Paris, and they they're trying to get a taxi in the rain, and and they can't get a taxi, and they're going like, "This sucks. This is a really stupid way to try to get a ride to stand out in the rain and try to wave down something in traffic." And then they start thinking that you know, well. But there's this new context of we have these smartphones that have GPS on them and could track cars. There's got to be a way we could use this to order a car. I mean, Uber started with that particular insight that there was a 
problem of like, how do you get a ride easily? And taxis suck and black car services are expensive and there's got to be a better way. I mean, that's the insight. That's the sort of category design insight. The real work that comes becomes how do you build the thing that's going to solve that problem? And that's that's where the hard part is to me. Well, building it and then finding the attention to even present the solution. Technology and social media and all aspects of of reaching an audience, it's kind of tougher than ever, especially now in this, we won't call it post-COVID, but this, this later stages of COVID environment that we live in, so many people were at the house and they got innovative and they got creative and they tried to jump in from a digital perspective and it's flooded the market. I mean, just in the podcasting space alone, we saw about a million and a half new podcasts jump on the scene in the last year. Now, the vast majority of those faded out very, very quickly as well. But it still poses that problem of even if I even if I solve a problem, how do I get it out there? How do I get that? I go, man, look at the solution that I have. How do I get that attention? What can I do to stand out in a, a flooded sea of so many other innovations and potential solutions to problems that we don't even know exist. Well, you're absolutely right about that. And and that's one of the reasons that that I think that companies are intrigued by what we do, because if you're out there trying to make an argument that you are um, better than something else or or have a, you know three more knobs or 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 you know do something faster or you know have better guests or something like that, that's a tough argument to make. You got to yell and scream pretty loud to get above the noise. And no matter what, you're, you're you're automatically, that means if you're making a better argument, that means you're in someone else's space and you're trying to outmaneuver that someone else. The big idea or a big idea behind category design is if you are actually finding that new space, then you're trying to be perceived as different. You're trying to set yourself apart from all of the other others that are doing all these other different things. And that by itself, helps win attention because, you know, now you're not, you're not, you know, making an argument about, you know, about making a comparison. You're making an argument about making a a choice for something that's completely different. Now that doesn't mean that it's, there's still, there's still obviously a a lot of noise out there and, you know, advertising and marketing are their own disciplines to try to get through all of that. But if you're making an argument, you're perceived as something different. It's an easier argument to make than, than, making an argument that you're better and and trying to you know trying to take market share from someone else rather than establishing your own category and creating your own market share and, and that's that's kind of the point so let me ask you you mentioned Chris Lockhead earlier as a co-author of the book is that the same marketing guru Christopher Lockhead that has his podcast and and I was sitting here on, on my iPad I go man what is Christopher Lockhead's podcast because the name is escaping me but I, I think that's cool that someone like him is involved in this as well because his podcast is phenomenal. And I mean, I'm, a, I'm an avid listener myself. I just can't remember the name of it. I'm subscribed to it. But <laughs> So the podcast came after. So Chris, it, it's funny, like we, there were four co-authors of the book and everybody went in different directions afterwards. Chris decided like the book was like he was kind of done with the marketing game and he wanted to be a podcast. So he went into podcasting and he's done very well at it, as you say. Al Ramadan, one of the other authors, continued to, to do the, the consulting business that started all of this. And he's the only one doing that for the firm that's called Play Bigger. Dave Peterson went and joined a, a startup as a chief marketing officer to, or chief category designer is what he's really as at this company called Salonis. It's, it's a big 
huge startup out of Germany. And then I went and, and with a partner named Mike Danfus, started Category Design Advisors to do category design strategy work with, with startups. So, and the four of us all remain friends and, and we help each other out. And Chris has had me on his podcast half a dozen times and, you know, and we've worked together, but we've all kind of gone in these different directions, all sort of somewhat tied to the, the category design space. Uh, wow. It goes to show you, man, that it's, it, it, once again, it's a small, small world. So we're, we're all interconnected somehow, which is interesting. So tell me more about your business and how you help others. What, what, what services do you provide or what guidance do you provide and how does that, how does that come into play? Yeah. Well, we, one of the things you realize about most startups is they don't have a lot of time on their hands. <laughs> they need to do things pretty quickly. And so we kind of came up with this crash program that usually can get a company from, you know, from zero to having a category definition and a plan in a couple of weeks time. Most of what we've worked, we've done with companies has been live during COVID. We had to kind of do a lot of these on Zoom and, and often that spread the time out because you don't want to sit for six hours on Zoom. You know, you'd have to break up things over several days where you would have done it in one. But, but generally speaking, like, you know, we would do this, you know, where we'd have like a couple of these long day long workshops and just really start with that. What do you, what problem do you solve question? And, and, and once we could identify the missing thing out there, the thing that, that is so universally true that it must exist, that everybody around the table says, you know what, it, if we don't do this, somebody else is going to. And if you see that, then you know you spotted a, a real market opportunity. And, and the next thing we do after that is we work through, if that's true, let's put some definition around what that uh, market looks like, what, what the problem really is, what the solution looks like not your product specs, but actually what the world needs to solve this problem. And then we create, we work with the team to create a document, like 800,000 words, like a narrative document that describes that problem, why it exists, why it hasn't been solved and what the, what the solution should look like and what the world should be like if the solution works. So it, it, it creates that space in people's heads about what's missing and what could be so that they desire this thing. And, and so that also creates, if we get you know, total alignment around the room about this is, exact, this is it, this describes what we need to create, that kind of puts a flag on the hill. And then the, the product team knows that everything it, it should be working on to build to drive towards solving that problem in the way that we described it. The marketing team knows that everything that it talks about, the way it, the way it creates the messaging for the company needs to reflect that, that document. The CEO redoes the investor deck so that it reflects that. So investors understand exactly what they're going for and, 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 and all down the line, the sales team changes the you know, way it, it sells and the HR team might have to change the, what the people it hires. Maybe the the category is a little requires a little bit different kind of person at the company or a different kind of team than than the company has today, and and so from by the time we finish, everybody around the table has that plan for what they need to go to do to carry out so that that story becomes true, and and then you know we and that whole process from you know us starting to you know get questionnaires back from the client and do some research and then have the meetings and wind up with a day where we have that document and send everybody off 
on their way to, to do their thing, you know, is somewhere between two and two and a half weeks. And we tend to mostly work with companies that are somewhere between Series A and IPO. They've been around a little while, but, and have, you know, some momentum, but they need to figure out where they're really going. And honestly, for most of the clients we work with, it's made an enormous difference. It's, it's created clarity for them about exactly what they're doing and why they're doing it. And that sounds maybe mushy or whatever, but it's really a big deal. And it really makes a di- lot of the difference in the world. I, I think a lot of, there's a lot of value in what you said there with the creating the narrative and, and actually having something conceptually in place that you can then move forward with and take the action necessary to implement that narrative. So many times, I think we tend to stay a little bit structured, not even a little bit, very rigidly structured in our approach to everything that we're doing, but really we're, we end up losing the, the narrative. We end up losing the story behind the why and the how and the who and the when and that. Just the overall impact that whatever it is that we're doing is going to have. And I think it's amazing that it seems like it's almost a transformation, almost generational in that now we're everything is moving closer towards telling stories and being more relatable to your target audience. And I mean, with podcasters, your target listeners and your target clients, everything is is targeted and structured in a way that they can understand and more importantly, they can relate to. I think your listeners would find interesting about that idea of the narrative. So over time, we've come to realize that there there is a, a bit of a formula to the, the narratives that, that we, we wind up with. Interestingly, it's kind of the formula of every superhero movie you've ever seen. But you think how effective that storyline is, right? I mean, there's a reason those things are so popular. And, and it's not just the special effects. I mean, yeah, those are cool too, but you know, but if you think about it, you know, some typical Batman movie, right? You know, the, the, the story begins with the Joker showing up on the scene, right? And we start to see like how evil the Joker is and how he's wreaking havoc on Gotham City and, you know, and, and everything is suddenly a mess. The Joker is a problem to be solved. And, and interestingly is, you know, in the good movies like that, the Joker doesn't just show up and do one bad thing and, you know, and then we say, okay, the Joker's bad. They kind of revel in it, right? Like you wallow in like, you know, three or four or five different scenes where the Joker really gets increasingly worse. And so in the beginning of these narratives that we do, we start with the dark side, the, you know, the Joker is, is here. There's a problem to be solved and it's really bad. And we're going to wallow in it a little bit and tell you just how bad it feels to be, have to deal with this problem. So you really feel it, right? And then in the, in the movie at that point, they call Batman. And, and Batman shows up on the scene. Batman is the category. He's the he's the solution to the problem. So we introduce the category, the you know the the category solution, the Batman. And then what you end up learning pretty quickly after that is here's why Batman is effective. You, you know here's what his powers are. You know why he's got these cool gadgets and he's you know strong and you know these other kinds of things. And so we start to lay out here's what the category solution has that can start to solve the problem. And then there's a section, kind of a section about like, here's how that solution defeats the problem and how the world becomes a better place once the Joker is run out of town or put in jail or whatever, and the world goes back to being a peaceful place. And interestingly, that entire narrative, when we work with a company, does not mention the company. It's about the problem. It's about the solution and how it should work and, and how the world works when that solution is implemented. And only at the very end do we say, and we are so-and-so, we're the ones bringing you this. Because it's all about creating that space in people's minds and then being the ones to 
address it. It's a very powerful way to create that. I would advise any of your you know, listener, company founders, CEOs, entrepreneurs to think through their story that way. And it will be a very effective way to tell the story of what you're trying to do. Wow. I love that. Uh, obviously, I can relate to it since you, you took the Batman route. So, <laughs> so, no, I think that's tremendous. And, you know, it's interesting because I was speaking this past weekend at an event and it was all about building your personal podcast brand. And although there are already categories, there's several of them where you can put your podcast you still in that sea of 2.5 million podcasts have to have your own unique approach to it and how your podcast solves that problem and brings value based on your uniqueness. I think it was Larry Wingett that said, uh, discover your, your uniqueness and then learn how to leverage that uniqueness, providing value to others. He said it a lot smoother than that though, but, <laughs> but it's the point that I'm trying to make. And I think that sums up this conversation nicely as well. That's how you make that impact. Find out how you provide value in that unique way and then leverage that uniqueness in your own category and do away with the competition by being your only competition. Yeah. Boy, I mean, I'm sure it's really tough for the podcasting space because most of us are, you know, you search for a podcast, all you ever see is the titles or something. And that's pretty hard to, in like five words, you know, set yourself apart. But, you know, anything you can do to be seen as, as something that is different and unique and, and not addressing the same kind of space as everybody else, you know, that's, that's a bonus. I, I mean, I love history and I've written a lot about, his, you know, historical stuff. And just the other day, you know, I just popped over my my. Uh, phone and and search under the term history to see if anything popped up that really looked interesting. And I couldn't tell, you know, why I should listen to any one of those history podcasts over the other, because they all basically had the same, you know, kind of look and feel in terms of what I could see in the, in the space. So, you know, so finding a, a way to stand out, I mean, it's a tough thing to do, but it's the, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, Kevin, man, I, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. This has been a, a really insightful and Actually, a lot of fun conversation. I had a blast. Everybody can find your book on Amazon and any retailer, or book retailer, I'm sure. So yep. Yep. look for his book, Play Bigger, folks. Kevin, thank you once again for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, Larry, thank you. It was really fun for me, too. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much. 